Today's lesson is Disciples Live for God's Glory, and we find this in Matthew chapter 6. Now, as Jesus taught his disciples about the nature of the kingdom, he was pointing to them to the reality that his kingdom was a different kind of kingdom than what they actually were expecting. While many wanted the physical kingdom, the overthrow of Rome, and the liberation of the promised land, Jesus' message in the Sermon on the Mount offered a better kingdom, a heavenly kingdom, that had come to change the way the followers of Jesus um, change the way followers of Jesus live, reorienting their practices and purposes for doing their righteous deeds. Jesus knows that we all are tempted toward exalting ourselves and showing how good we are spiritually. Instead of degrading spiritual acts, Jesus calls us to a reformation of behavior by calling us out of the public eye and drawing us into the secret place where only God, our Father, sees what we are doing. There alone before our Father are our acts of righteousness done for his glory alone. Now the first point of this lesson is that Jesus' disciples give secretly. We find this in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus began by stating the general principle that governs his teaching from chapter 6, verses 1 through 18. Live out true righteousness. By contrasting true righteousness with false righteousness, Jesus showed his disciples what it means to live for self or to live for the glory of God. By having your perspective fixated on the things of this earth and the approval of people, the fewer rewards that you're going to have in heaven. When your perspective is to please God and glorify Him, the rewards of heaven increase. Righteousness must be understood in this context as right action and doing what pleases God. When Jesus spoke about doing righteousness, he was speaking about having the right motivation for doing good deeds. The deeds referred to in this passage are giving, fasting, and prayer. Having told his disciples that nothing less than perfection is required, he now calls them to practice their spirituality carefully. Just as the Beatitudes laid out the blessings of heaven for those who live for God's glory, so the acts of true righteousness or piety must be performed to please God to receive the blessings of the kingdom of heaven. What matters, really, is the motivation of the heart. If the motive is to glorify yourself or to gain the approval of people, the deed really has no value and will not result in any other reward than that one that was sought. The contrast to the opening verses between the temporal, earthly reward 
and the permanent heavenly reward. The reason Jesus begins, begins this section with a warning not to act for their own glory and for the reward of others is actually rooted in his own actions. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 6-11, through 11, Paul tells us that Jesus left the glories of heaven and took the form of a servant. By his humble obedience, Jesus sought the glory of his Father, only saying what his Father told him to speak, and doing everything for his Father's glory. Jesus is our example on how we can live for God's glory because he's our substitute who removes the penalty and power of sin for those who trust in him. Throughout scripture, God has commanded his people to give generously to those who are poor and needy. What draws Jesus' attention here is not what is given, but how it is given. Giving, Jesus says, should not be done with loud trumpets announcing the giving of the gift. There's really no evidence that trumpets, literally the shofar, were blown when gifts were being given. If not literal trumpets, Jesus may be referring to the act of blowing your own horn, drawing attention to yourself in some way to display how generous you are. This self-attention, Jesus says, is what hypocrites do. Hypocrisy has to do with being two-faced, play-acting, or even lacking in sincerity. Jesus meant that these people give without sincerity, acting as though they are giving for others when the motive is to be praised by other people. Jesus often condemned the Pharisees for hypocrisy because they thought their actions were approved by God when they were self-deceived. The method and motive of giving that Jesus commends is the kind of giving that is done in secret, so that the left hand does not know what the right hand is doing, indicating privacy and discretion in the act of giving, so that people's attention is not drawn to the act. Acts of righteousness are never completely unnoticed. Jesus says that even a secret act is noticed by our Father in heaven. And the fact that he can see when no one else notices is an indication that these acts have been done genuinely for the glory of God, rather than the praise of men. When no one notices or gives praise for having compassion on the poor and needy, then the gift has been truly given to the Lord for his praise and glory, rather than the recognition of men. Just as God sees our secret acts of giving, we can trust him to act on behalf on our behalf when we come before him in prayer the second point is that jesus disciples pray sincerely now this is found in matthew chapter 6 verses 5 through 15 whenever you pray you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. Therefore, you should pray like this. 
Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. Jesus shifted his teaching about righteous deeds from giving to praying here. Jesus opposed hypocritical prayer, like those who give to the poor to be seen. Jesus said that praying in the synagogues and on the street corners with the desire to draw attention to oneself yields only the praise of men. Jesus was not forbidding all public prayer, but instead he was teaching his disciples the primary form of prayer. It should be done in secret by closing the door and speaking to your Father who sees you. Through the regular habit of praying alone, Jesus' followers focus on God alone and receive his loving and gracious rewards. To further cultivate the practice of prayer that pleases and glorifies God, Jesus commended the practice of making our prayers focused and deliberate. The pagans would attempt to cover all of their bases by praying to every god to ensure divine favor. But believers should not use cliched phrases, repeated words and prayers that are rote and routine for the sake of gaining God's ear. Instead, Believers should bring their request before their Father, trusting that He knows the things you need before you ask Him, and that He is able to do far more than they could ask for. Like the author of Ecclesiastes wrote, God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. That's Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 2. The righteous practice before God is to trust that Christ intercedes on behalf of believers and makes even the most stuttering, struggling prayer a few words, glorifying to our Father who is in heaven. Jesus gave his disciples a model of prayer, saying that they should pray like this, not necessarily to repeat this prayer word for word, but as a model that would form the thoughts we're bringing before God. The prayer of Jesus has six petitions, three directed to God and three speaking to our needs. By starting with God rather than our needs, Jesus directed our prayers to glorify God the Father. The three petitions here glorified God's name, his kingdom, and his will. First, we are taught to pray to our Father in heaven. By the use of the word our, our Jesus clarified that he prays with us and for us. Just as we join our hearts together with other Christians, because Jesus prays with us, what makes this prayer effective is not how eloquently we pray. Instead, it's what makes prayer effect what makes prayer effective is that Jesus actually is interceding for us, bringing our prayers before the Father. As we pray, the focus of prayer is for God to be glorified. Your name be honored as holy. As this redirects every petition, intercession, and confession, prayer becomes first and foremost about God and His glory. Second, the request we are to bring is for God's kingdom to come. 
Just as the Beatitudes began with a focus on the values of the kingdom, so this prayer begins with a request for God's saving rule to come. Third, the desire of prayer is not for our will to be done, but for God's sovereign purposes to be accomplished. To ask for God's will to be done includes the furtherance of good through our deeds, and also the glory of God in the face of evil, persecution, and insults. Where humans intend evil, asking God's will be done, is to remind us that He works all things for the good of those who love Him. The final three petitions have to do with our request for daily provision, forgiveness of sin, and to resist temptation. Daily bread is often taken for granted in a world of abundance, but we have nothing without God's provision. Even as God's mercies are new every morning, we actually need a daily reminder to extend mercy to and forgive others. Finally, we are to pray that we would be guided into godly living, that we may resist temptation and not be led into evil, but away from it and away from Satan, who would seek to deceive us. Just as we are to give and pray privately, Jesus shows us how to fast so that we do not draw attention to ourselves, but actually give glory to God. The third point in this lesson is Jesus' disciples fast humbly. We find this in Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 to 18. Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Like the other practices of righteousness, Jesus assumed that it is not if, but when you fast. Jesus instructed his followers first on what they are not to do, like the previous two examples of giving and prayer. Jesus warned them not to be like the hypocrites who perform their spiritual disciplines to be seen in an obvious way by people. First, Jesus told his disciples not to be gloomy like the hypocrites who would disfigure their faces to make it obvious they were fasting with long faces and somber looks with the look of hunger Painted across their faces, the hypocrites appeared to be suffering in the efforts of holiness. Perhaps by avoiding self-care, washing, personal grooming, or even perhaps sprinkling ashes on one's head to show penitence over sin, the hypocrites were drawing attention to themselves so that others noticed their sorrow and contrition. The second thing that Jesus warned his disciples about was seeking the wrong reward. Hypocrites wanted to be noticed by others. The desire to be open and transparent wasn't the problem. Their problem was that they had coveted the praise of men while hiding behind the religious acts that looked like they were honoring God. While they looked holy on the outside, their flashy fast was similar to the Israelites in the time of Isaiah, who fasted and sought the Lord while practicing injustice. Fasting really is a reminder that we need God more than we need food. And it's also living out the principle that Jesus will describe in Matthew chapter 6 verse 33. Seek 
first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. To turn this act into something to gain attention of others so that they would notice our piety and spirituality is to do the exact opposite of what is intended to do. To remind us that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The type of fasting that Jesus committed was different from that of the hypocrites. The solution to self-promotion is not eliminating righteous deeds, but reorienting them properly, since any deed of righteousness can be degraded into self-promotion. Jesus again encouraged secrecy. Jesus sees the motivation of the heart and knows when we are fasting to connect closely to God's will. Jesus knows that we are not only physically weak in our fasting, but are actually spiritually weak as well. So he reorients the heart to desire to know him and love him above all else, even food. Instead of making it appear like they were fasting, Jesus instructed his disciples to appear like they were going about their normal day by washing, putting oil on the face, by practicing self-care. No one should be able to discern what is going on between the believer and God on the inside. <clears throat> Some have wondered if this passage contradicted Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 to 17. John the Baptist's disciples approached Jesus and wondered, Why do we and the Pharisees fast so often, but your disciples do not fast? Was John wrong in encouraging his disciples to fast? John called people to repent because the kingdom of God was near. John's fast was similar to the Old Testament fasting to plead for God's mercy and forgiveness of sin. Jesus stated that his disciples were not to fast while he was with them because no one mourns at a wedding, and he was the bridegroom. Of course, Jesus knew there would come a time when he would not be with them. At present, they could delight in the Son's presence. But after his death, his resurrection, and ascension, he would not be with them physically, and they would then they would need to practice fasting. Doing the right thing is not sufficient to glorify God. Christians do the right thing because our souls delight in God, for He is, for who He is, and for His glory. We do the right thing, actually, for the right reasons. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you today, and I just pray for the, the, those that are sick and hurting, that you just reach out your loving arms of grace and mercy and surround them and comfort them. And Lord, I pray for those that listen to this lesson, that you would just inspire them with your word and show them how best to communicate with you. For it's a personal relationship with you, Father, and uh, every person's going to experience it differently. But Father, I also ask that you send the Holy Spirit to illuminate all of our steps in the coming week and show us who we need to share the love and light of Jesus with. For it's in Jesus' precious name that I pray. Amen.